Alright, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Three, two, one. We're on. What? We're on. We're on what? Live. We're on live. We're on live. Oh, I was really hoping it was something better than that. Like mescaline? I don't know what that is. I don't either. Some kind of drug. That's all I know. People used to do it. Oh, okay. I think I'll be on bubbly, thanks. Okay. Okay. We're on bubbly. Oh, you should give me that. You're really not going to like that. Okay. At all. Okay. It's terrible. Okay, Disgusting. I believe you. I believe you. Disgusting. I believe you. Hi, everyone. Mary can't even say hi right now. That's pretty lovely. <laughs> That's a lovely. <laughs> That's my new best friend. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Where we tell you shit you didn't need to know. And when we're done, you wish you didn't know. Oh, I think that's pushing it. I think you're going a little far with that statement. What is up with your dog? What did you give your dog today? Caffeine? An energy? Red Bull? Did you give your dog a Red Bull? No. She has a little tether on her. It counts her steps. She's starting to get in today's and tomorrow's. Oh this morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've ever seen your dog this antsy. She's very antsy. Holy cow! <laughs> I know. I'm telling you. Well, put, as your, a, put your put your cat on a tether. See what happens. <laughs> oh my god! Last night I gave my cat catnip, and then okay. I took a bubble bath, and the cat was trying to climb into the tub with me, like figure trying to figure out how to get in the tub without getting wet. And he's just kept sitting on the side and like reaching out and and, and like crying at me while he like tried to figure out how to how to perch on me. It was pathetic. Sounds like an emotionally drunk cat. God, it was so pathetic. Emotionally stoned cat. You know how some human beings, when they've been drinking or they're under the influence, they become real emotional and weepy? Oh, yeah. My cat last night. your cat? Oh, Jesus. Dear God. Of course, you know, 10 minutes before that, he'd been rolling in the catnip and licking it off his paws. That's too funny. Oh, God, it was so bad. My cat once broke into the catnip. Literally broke into the catnip, broke the lid off, and then three cats were behind the fish tank, all sprawled out. You couldn't get them out because <laughs> they broke it, knocked it off the fish tank, broke the lid off behind the fish stand. Yeah, they were all back there, passed out. That's great. Yeah. All right, so let's try this again. Okay. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Where we tell you stuff you didn't need to know. I'm yeah. Mary Swartz. I'm Hannah Green. <laughs> We're your hosts for today's informal, conversational, something, whatever you want to call it, chat. All right, not, sure. Not really a fireside chat. Thanks for being here with us. We yeah. do appreciate that you are choosing to spend a little bit of your time with us. Hell yeah. We don't want to do this alone. We would, though. <laughs> yeah, because we have a lot of fun. It's just more fun when we do it with others. Most things are. Yeah. Okay, we'll drink to that. All right, tell us what's in our glass. We are drinking really nice. We are drinking bubbly that I have added black currant juice to. Ooh, I love black currant juice. I love black currants. And um, while we were on vacation, we found an Irish shop. They carry black currant juice there. Is that in Pennsylvania? That one was in a. I don't I don't even freaking know. I think that was in Ohio. I don't even know. 
God, I can't even remember. We were in so many little towns. I know we were. All I can tell you it is... It was a little Celtic shop. It was really an amazing place. All I can tell you is that Hannah's ice cream was on the same road. We didn't go there because we were full from breakfast. Because we'd had an absolutely amazing breakfast. We did. And then before that, we'd done something else. I don't even remember anymore. Oh, my gosh. So much. We we packed so much stuff in that it's almost kind of blended together. Yes. Um, we were in Pennsylvania. Okay. Pennsylvania. Yes. New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I had the beautiful um, glass shops. Oh, and we went to the coffee shop before that. Yes. Oh. Yes. 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 It was an amazing, yeah, that was an amazing day. They were pretty much all amazing days, though, just different but amazing. Yeah, that was the day that we were, when we finally went to leave town, we were like, oh, we're going to go to this winery. And we got there, and then that massive storm hit. Yeah. Yeah, that was like, literally, there's the dog again. You're just going to hear her throughout the whole show because I can't get her to sit still. It's almost like Andrew. You can't keep her in her chair. Can't keep, yeah, you can't keep her in her chair. All Um, right. So, yeah, so that is what we are drinking. We are drinking some bubbly that I have added some black currant juice yeah. to. Which is just. You're going to have to find other things to do with that black currant juice because it doesn't last forever. Oh, don't worry. Once you open it. it. Glug, glug, glug. Ooh, I don't know. It's sweet. I sweet. couldn't drink it straight. No. But I will use it in smoothies and stuff. Make amazing smoothies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you see some mango? Some, some blackberries. Yeah, maybe oh, some yeah. banana, some black currant. Oh, so good. I have some strawberries in the freezer. Yum, yum. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay, so uh, we're going to kick off. This is National Chimney Safety Week, October 24th, National Chimney Safety Week. Okay. Next week is National Fire Week, National Fire Prevention Week, sorry. Ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. Are I, you Smokey the Bear now? I, I know something about National Chimney Week. What? Don't get stuck in one. They'll ooh. find you in 25 years. I know. I was going to tell them that at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, next week is National Fire Prevention Week, so this is National Chimney Safety Week. But if you're going to get caught in one, make sure you take a porn magazine with you so you've got something to do. I, I see. We'll discuss that. We're, we're going to discuss that. Um, so anyway, there's more than 22,000 known chimney fires every year, Yeah, which is a lot. Some of them can actually cause massive amounts of damage. Um, a lot of them actually do go undetected yeah, because until- they're very small because they happen inside your chimney and you just don't even know about them. And a lot of them, the majority of them is caused by the creosote buildup that's in your chimney. Yep. Uh, So, basically, you get creosote built up in your chimney. You get a chimney fire. Once you have a fire there, it will happen again if you don't get your chimney cleaned out. So, they do say hire a professional certified chimney sweeper to inspect and clean your chimney. Now, they don't say how often. I would say probably yearly, every other year, yada, yada. Be safe, people. Just be safe. Okay? Be safe. Yeah. So, because we do a lot of research for our podcasts, we have learned a lot of things. And this is my word of advice for National Chimney Safety Week. If you want to get rid of burglars, you tell them the key is located inside the chimney. 
because the opening of the chimney is wider than the bottom of the chimney. Yes. And then they'll get stuck and they won't burgle your house. I don't advise doing that at home yourself, though. I just don't. She did it again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we have a friend who's an artist and she was sending us pictures of her work. She's painting this morning. So she was sending us pictures while she painted. She is an amazing woman. She's she's just an amazing, amazing person. And a while ago, she sent us a thing and it said, um, I have learned to keep my coffee away. I accidentally stuck my dirty brush in my coffee instead of the water glass. Turns out she apparently did not learn to keep her coffee away. Because she just sent us a picture. She did it again. To her paintbrush right there in her coffee cup. (laughs) So not only is she an amazing, amazing person, but she has an amazing sense of humor and she's very human. And I love that fact about her. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. And she's super talented. Super talented. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I know. I am so glad that she shares these things with us. I know. All right. Okay. So here is my national day. All right. It is National Food Day. Ooh, we all like food. God, I love food. (laughs) I know. Oh my gosh, I love food so much. I was really excited by this day. But then as I started to research it, I discovered that I still love this day, but it's not quite what I thought it was going to be. That frequently happens. National Food Day actually focuses on healthy and nutritious food, and their aim is to help people eat real. We have fruit in our glasses. Yes, we do. Grapes and black currants. All right, then. I don't see the problem. It doesn't say anything about cutting back on alcohol. It does say cutting back on sugar drinks, overly salted packaged foods, and fatty factory-farmed meats in favor of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and sustainably raised protein. So the, here's the thing. I, honest to God, it I know that it seems like it's really expensive to eat healthy. But if you shop right, it doesn't have to be. You know, you would not think anything at all of going to McDonald's and taking your family of four and dropping 45 or 50 bucks there. Oh, yes, I would. Oh, most people wouldn't. Oh, yes, I would. You and I aren't like most people, though, Mary. Because I'd be going, no, little Johnny, the dollar menu. Do you understand the dollar menu? <laughs> but a typical meal at a place like McDonald's or a typical Seven fast. Seven bucks, easy. Easily, easily. And that is the low end. Some of them now can run up to 12 or $13 yeah, for insane. a sandwich, fries, and a drink. For that amount of money, you can go to the farmer's market. Or to your local health store, or even to your local Aldi's, which Mary and I adore Aldi's. Oh, absolutely. And you can, Aldi's has such an amazing, amazing selection of really reasonably priced organic foods, fruits, vegetables, meats, you name it. So just know that choosing to eat healthy does not have to be difficult, nor does it have to be hard. If you aren't sure where to start, I do suggest going to the farmer's market going to your local health store, or even seeking out a nutritionist who can kind of give you some pointers. Yeah, well, another thing, too, is you can buy seconds. You don't have to buy top of the line. You can buy, if you go to the farmer's market, almost every vendor there is going to have seconds. 
and they're going to be about half the price and they just are you know maybe a little bit bruised or a little bit right you know, and there's like, actually if you're not the kind of person who likes to go out and do your own shopping i know that in the u.s there is a website called misfits market yeah and you can get a lot of it's all organic stuff you can get that at the same price and it is it's the stuff that like the growing co-ops and the different farms and stuff had in it's excess. It's not quite the right, right it's size. Not, exactly. Or... It's just a little off. Nothing yep. wrong with it, but you get it at a much reduced price. Okay. There's a couple other ones, too, out okay. there. So um, so the idea is to seek a balance between nutrition, affordability, and the environment. So they want the goal is also to produce food with care for the environment, the farm animals, and keeping the people who grow it in mind. Okay. You know, the people who harvest it, the people who serve it. So there are events all around the world when this takes place. Because even though it's a national day, it's kind of observed internationally. Right. So there's actually even a national conference in Washington, D.C. There's school activities. But you don't have to wait for a single day to choose to do this. No. No matter how small the step you take is, it's never too small and it's never too late right. to make these changes in your life. That's right. So I have everybody who's given it a shot. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, one of my greatest things at work is when people come in and ask for help because they are seeking to change their life. Yeah. And I walk out and they're excited about the changes they're making. And I, I they walk out and I feel like I have made a difference. And that's not to say I eat healthy all the time, because let me tell you, I love good fries. Oh, my gosh. French fries, chocolate, alcohol. I, you know, I will say on our vacation, though, we did manage to, and I would say we did 90% of the time, yeah. I would say we ate rather healthy. Yeah. I think there was we did well. one night that I was just like, I really need a burger and fries. <laughs> No, there was one night that we actually ended up at a freaking fast food joint, which we have never done before. Never. Never. In six years of going on vacation together, not once have we ever eaten at a fast food restaurant. However... There was nothing open. We ended up in this little teeny tiny town. There's no grocery stores open. It's like 9 o'clock at night. No grocery stores, no regular restaurants. Our choices were Wendy's, McDonald's, and Arby's. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Flip a coin. (laughs) <laughs> so it was either that or go to a gas station and try to scrounge. No, and nope. it was like, this is not going to happen. Nope. Cannot believe we ate fast food. Jesus. Nope. That was the only pop I had that entire time. Oh, I, I think I had lemonade that night. But I will say, I really did not enjoy our dinner that night either. <laughs> Just was not that good. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea, you know, is... As much as I was all excited because it's National Food Day, I love food, it's even more than that, which is really awesome. It's yes. not just about food. That is true. Very cool. Yeah. I thought that was kind of fun and exciting. Hell yeah. All right. All right. All right. We're going to go to Illinois. We're going to start in Illinois. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Mary Ubedi of Illinois said William Humphrey was driving too fast, and perhaps she should know. Because she was a passenger in his car. They got to oh. construction zone. Humphrey lost control and he flipped the car. Ubedee is thrown from the vehicle and her attorney says that Mary sustained severe and life-threatening injuries. But then he gets paid to be melodramatic. 
So over to Asa sues Humphrey. She's asking for at least $50,000 in damages. Surely if he was driving too fast for road conditions, such as in a construction zone, and he caused an accident, he should be liable. I agree. Okay. But her attorney didn't really want to stop there. Well, it's because most of them, the more they can get you, the more they make. The more they make. The lawsuit also names Roe Construction for at least another $50,000 because it was under state contract to do the construction work on the roadway. That, what does that have to do with the car and the driver? Ubedi claims the company failed to provide proper and reasonably safe traffic control devices for road construction. Failed to properly maintain the public highway in a safe and navigable condition during the road project and failed to provide guardrails or railings during the construction project. Plausible? I don't think so. Um, but they didn't stop there. I was going to say, I'm not sure that any of those factors have shit to do with the company doing the work. Or shit to do with his driving. Exactly. Well, we all know that lawsuits don't work that way. Right. But that wasn't quite enough for the lawyer and Mary. Oh, of course not. So, they also named Mazda Motors. The manufacturer of Humphrey's car, because he was driving a Miata. For the love of God. And what, pray tell, did they do wrong? Any guesses? <laughs> She's thinking a lot. Well, with this lawyer, it could be damn near anything. A lawyer doesn't do things on his own. He has a client that says, okay, I know, but I'm saying the lawyer may okay. have said, oh, I've got an idea. We should try this and this. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to think okay. of like... Um, Failed to mm. failed to put a windshield in that didn't fly out during the accident. How about failed to provide instructions regarding the safe and proper use of a seatbelt? Um, hold on, wait. Oh, wait, wait. My fucking god. No, wait. This is people are probably gonna shut this off as soon as I get done saying oh, this. Jesus. Here she goes. As someone who has read. You did not. The owner's manual for the last three cars she bought. Why? There are instructions in the owner's manual on how to use a seatbelt. So it's really Mark's fault that he didn't give her the owner's manual to read? Yes. While they were driving. He should have instructed every, required every person getting into his car to fully read the owner's manual before they rode in his car. Or maybe he needs to do, maybe he needs to do a, a pre-driving safety uh, lesson like they do on an airplane. Maybe she should have paid attention in fucking driver's training when they taught her that that was a rule in the law. And Well, you know, like on an airplane, you know, they show you how to connect your seatbelt, how to tighten it, all these. Maybe that's what he needs to do before people ride in his car. Maybe Mary should get a brain. Did you just say maybe Mary should get a brain? Maybe she, her name was Mary. Yes, maybe she I, should I know, get a brain. but that was pretty awesome. <laughs> wow. You should really be more gentle and kind to yourself. <laughs> some days it's it's some days are worse than others. <laughs> okay, that's what I have to say. I had oh my fucking god, that's what she sued him for. I sure as hell hope that not only did she lose her lawsuit, I hope that she had to pay an exorbitant amount of court and lawyer fees for the people she tried to sue. And I know that that's not usually how it works. I don't know. I don't know how it ended up, but. But what absolute fucking bullshit. What a waste of our court's time. Yeah. The courts have actual important stuff to do, and all these nuisance lawsuits need to start costing people money. 
In my opinion, yes. But we don't make the rules. We just we just report on them. Oh my god. All right. Okay. Go from Illinois to Colorado. Sure. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Police contacted Marjorie about a license plate that they found that was registered to him. Okay. He said, destroy the license plate. He already sold the car. Okay. Didn't need it, didn't have it, destroy it. Sometime later, the state of Colorado told his wife, who had been the original owner of the car, that she could no longer renew the registration of her current car because she owed almost $1,600 in unpaid tolls that were billed to the old plate. What the fuck? Apparently, the police department did not destroy the plate. And somehow it got attached to an unmarked police car. So every time the unmarked police car went through a toll, he racked up the bill to Mark and his wife, Deborah. First of all, I want to know who the hell put it on a police car. Because that, that would can, be illegal. One, I can just say I can almost see a, a lawsuit over this. That would be way illegal. So after the story comes out, they kind of like, really dissed on the police department and informed the police department that they are responsible for paying the tolls, which they did. There was an actual officer that was using the plate, and I did not find out that anything happened to him, but I really feel like something should have because uh, yeah, that was highly illegal. That's absolute bullshit. And absolute bullshit. When you are told to destroy a plate as a officer of the law, that is your job. Don't attach it to your car and think you're going to get away with that. I mean, I hope he lost his job at the very least. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. All right. All right. So we'll go from there to Chicago. Yes. Organizers of a world record attempt in Chicago said that they are hoping to gather more than 178 couples to break the record for the world's largest wedding. I think they do bigger weddings than that in India. The record-setting number is 178, so they want at least 179 couples. I feel like they do bigger than that in, in like, India or something. Yeah, but these are dogs. What? <laughs> what? Dog wedding ceremony. How do they know that the dogs are consenting? Good question. Can you get a doggy divorce afterwards? I want to know. Are there alimony agreements? Oh, my God. And do the child support payments have to go to the person who now has the, the puppy? That's scary. Wow. Yeah. So the record-setting number of 178 was set in Littleton, Colorado in 2007. So Nick Kazoon is slated to officiate at the dog wedding ceremony, which will include canines from all across the Chicago metropolitan area. It is said that pet owners whose dogs don't have mates can still come, still get married, and participate in a round of doggy speed dating to find the appropriate spouse before the ceremony. What the fuck? Let's get Gypsy right on that dog speed dating. How does that even work? I don't know. And what if you find a mate that's halfway across the country? Oh, my God. I don't know. I just reported. I don't explain it. Oh, I'm so confused. Well, you better drink. And okay. enjoy our very, very cheap drink here. Very cheap drink. Why? What's next? Because one? the latest beer from Boston brewer Samuel Adams bears a price tag of $240 a bottle. It's illegal in 15 states. Why? It contains 28% alcohol. That's nothing. We had 186 proof on vacation. That was liquor. 28% alcohol is more than five times the average strength of U.S. beer. Right. This so is how, a beer. So does it still qualify to be beer, though, when the alcohol is that high? It is high? a beer. It is the 12th version of the Utopias brand, which the brewery rolls out every two years. For $240, you get a 25.4-ounce bottle. So it's basically 
$10 an ounce. Basically, it's $10 an ounce. Enjoy it. I think I'll pass. Yeah. So Samuel Adams, the official beer of the Inspiration for Civilian Tourism Mission to Space, um, said that a Utopia bottle that will be autographed by Jim Koch, founder of Sam Adams, and the mission crew will be auctioned off to benefit St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. That is kind of cool. I think for $240 a fucking bottle, you should be giving something away. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. God. It's illegal in five states. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yep. All right. We're all over the map today. We are. I'm going to take us on another little trip. Okay. Let's take a little time travel vacation today. Okay. We're going to travel back to November 2nd, 1964. Okay. To England. Okay. Okay. So now we're now we're in England. Now that we we're... have license, we have listeners there. Just so you know, I know. You know, in case you are aware of that, I am aware. Okay. So now that we're in England, in November of 1964, we're going to read a newspaper article that has been published in the Evening News and Star. Ooh. All right. This article is an interview with a 17-year-old. By the name of David Robert Jones. Okay. Are you Harry? If so, are you proud of being Harry and you want to remain Harry? What if that's your name? No, this is Harry H-A-I. Oh, because yeah, I'd be proud if I was named Harry. And are you tired of people making fun of you? If so, join a new society formed just for you and like-minded Hershute folk. The International League for the Preservation of Animal Filament. I wish you could see the look on Mary's face right now. What does what does that have to do with hairy people? I think they're calling hair animal filament. Okay. Okay. It's really for the protection of prop musicians and those who like to wear their hair long, explained the founder and president, David Jones, of Plastow Grove. Anyone who has the courage to wear his hair down to his shoulders has to go through hell. It's time we united and stood up for our curls. What if it's straight? What if it's I'm, not I, I'm simply reading you. I know. I'm asking whoever got interviewed for this. I'm reading you an article right now. I know. I don't have answers. I'm. You're just reporting it. Just reporting it. You don't have to understand it. You're just reporting it. David, who leads a professional pop group called The Manish Boys, is in the process of enrolling members. Screaming Lord Such, PJ Proby, The Pretty Things, and of course, The Stones and the Beatles. We want them all as members. You've no idea the indignities you have to suffer just because you've got long hair, said David who gave up commercial art to go into the pop business. Dozens of times I've been politely told to clear out of the lounge bar at public houses. Everybody makes jokes about you on the bus, and if you go past navvies digging in the road, it's murder. The International Society for the Preservation of Animal Filament will give long-haired lads a sense of belonging, he thinks. It will fight their cause and encourage them when too many people are poking fun. That's the end of the article. Not long after that, the society either changed its name or Jones formed a new society. I did a bunch of digging and I didn't really get a clear answer about this. But before the end of 1964, David Jones was promoting a society that he called the Society for the Preservation of Cruelty to Long-Haired Men. Say that again. 
the Society for the Prevention. Oh, Prevention. I thought you said Preservation. That was the first one. The first one. And I may have. I may have said Preservation. <laughs> Which is why I was like, let say that again. <laughs> We're preserving the cruelty to men thing. Anyway. The Society for the Prevention. Prevention. Of Cruelty to Long-Haired Men. Only you can prevent cruelty. This name is a better choice in my opinion. It leaves no doubt as to what the purpose of the society is. Unlike the previous name, which was kind of odd and unclear about what they were aiming toward. So David Jones and several other long-haired members of the society, and possibly of his band, appeared on BBC on a show called Tonight, where David was interviewed by Cliff Micklemore. Micklemore is quoted as saying, the rebellion of the long hairs is getting underway. Some other quotes from that interview include David saying, We all like long hair, and we don't see why other people should persecute us because of this. Also, I think we're all fairly tolerant, but for the last two years we've had comments like, Darling, and can I carry your handbag? <laughs> He claimed that long-haired men were being discriminated against, mocked, and even excluded from being given jobs. The job announced the job. The group announced that they planned to march against intolerance, although it seems unclear as if they actually intended to do so, or if this was just an elaborate publicity stunt to bring attention to the band. We can mark march in protest, sort of like ban the bomb all over again. One of the members that appeared with David stated. Some research shows that the band, the Manish Boys, were scheduled to appear on a BBC show called Gadzooks, It's All Happening, to perform their single, I Pity the Fool. <laughs> I swear to God, I couldn't make it up if I tried. <laughs> no, we know where Mr. T got it from. The long-haired people. <laughs> so there is a group out there right now called the Manish Boys, they are here in the U.S., not the same group, just so you know. perform that song. The show's producer, Barry Langford, requested that the band members cut their hair prior to appearing on the show, claiming concerns that their hair would elicit complaints from the audience. The band's manager, Les Can, arranged a protest outside of the studio with fans of the band. The protesters carried signs promoting long hair and their support of it. My research seems to suggest that this actually all happened before any of the interviews happened. Okay. The band did not cut their hair, but instead did reach an agreement with the studio that if any audience member complained about their hair, the band's entire fee would be donated to charity. The studio received exactly 
zero complaints. Hmm, maybe it's not about the hair. But nonetheless, <clears throat> from this sprang the birth of the Society to Protect the Feelings of the Long-Haired Man. Oh my god. <laughs> you did not just say the Society to Protect the Feelings of the Long-Haired Man. <laughs> I did. <laughs> At one point during all of this, David Jones stated that he would not cut his hair for anyone, not the Prime Minister and not BBC. Good for him. The society did go on to have enrolled members, including the legendary Jimmy Page. Ooh. The Manish Boys were an R&B-style band that had named themselves after a Muddy Waters song. The band only ever recorded the one song. I pity the fool. They rec- actually, I was looking. They recorded with some other guy named Eddie Hope, too, though. Yes, but as that band, that is the only song they ever recorded. David Robert Jones would go on to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. In 1996. You know why? They're protecting his feelings. <laughs> You're about to find out why. <laughs> he passed away on January 10th. 2016, breaking hearts all over the world that still haven't fully recovered from the loss of a very beloved musician. Because David Jones was the incomparable David Bowie. Oh, wow. Wow. There you go. Sweetness. Sweetness. I bet you didn't see that one coming. Uh, No, I didn't know feelings had to be protected on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I meant the fact that that was David Bowie. No, I, no, Larry might have known that, but I definitely would never. Yep, David Bowie. Wow. Which is kind of funny because I was listening to my dad wrote a porno on the way here, and they actually mentioned David Bowie. Wow. And Isabel watched Labyrinth yesterday, so. Never seen it. Oh my gosh, Isabel loves David Bowie so much. It's kind of funny when you think about the fact that, you know, he was big even, I mean, long before I was around. Right. He was still kind of a thing when I was born and, and growing up. He died in 2016. Isabel was not even, she was, hadn't even turned 14 yet. Right. Even kids her age love David Bowie. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That All is right. pretty awesome. So there you go. Okay. The village of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Oh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. We haven't been there was founded in 1800 by the Swiss immigrant Joseph Johns, where the Stony Creek and Little Connemaw Rivers joined to form the Connemaw River. It began to prosper with the building of the Pennsylvania Mainline Canal in 1836 and the construction of the 1850s of the Pennsylvania Railroad and the Cambria Iron Works. Wow. High above the city, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania decided to build the South Fork Dam. A project that stretched from 1838 to 1853. I have to to say something. Okay. This is my first thought. Building a dam high above a town sounds like a really bad idea. I don't believe that building a a dam high above a town, I don't think that's the bad idea. I feel like a lot of things could go Mm -hmm. really wrong here. I think if you do it right, it's, it's a fine idea. Okay. Just my own personal opinion. I think this could be a bad idea. So, okay. They're building it as part of a cross-state canal system, which they're going to call the main line of public works. Okay. It's going to connect lots of stuff. Canals were used for irrigation, land drainage, urban water supply, hydroelectric power generation. They were also used to transport goods and people. Right. 
Johnstown was the eastern station of the Western Division Canal. They were supplied with water by Lake Connemaw, the reservoir behind the dam. Okay. Which we're pretty familiar with. As railroads became a more popular means of transporting goods than the canal barge transport, the Commonwealth kind of abandoned the canal and they sold it to the Pennsylvania Railroad. The dam and the lake were part of the purchase and the railroad sold them to private interests. The dam was 72 feet high and 931 feet long. Very little maintenance was performed on the dam during its existence, even though it broke in 1862. Broke? Broke. In fact... One of the private owners removed the drainage pipes beneath the dam and sold them for scrap. Oh, my God. This is where the bad ideas start to come in. Oh, God. Which meant there was no way to drain the reservoir to repair it. Because that's how you fixed a reservoir. You had to drain it. So the reservoir and the dam passed through several other hands before the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club bought it in 1879. Okay. The Fishing and Hunting Club decided to make great use of the land by turning the whole thing into a family recreational area. The project took them about two years to complete. The club owned the reservoir, the dam that created it, and about 160 acres of land in the area. The club renamed the reservoir. They called it the Lake Conema. It had a 47-room clubhouse featuring a high, huge dining room that could seat 150 people. There were 16 privately owned cottages, which were actually really super large houses. They had a boat fleet that included a pair of steam yachts, many sailboats, many canoes, and a lot of boat houses to store them in. Okay. Entertainment included a regatta, theatricals, and musical performances. Wow. Yeah, so they weren't playing. Fishing and boating were popular activities, and the club members also enjoyed picnicking, uh, the club did engage in periodic maintenance of the dam, but they actually made some very harmful modifications to it. They installed fish screens across the spillway to keep the expensive game fish from escaping. So if you keep the fish from escaping, everything else stays there too. Yep. Any debris. Yep. Any spillway. Yep. Does not drain into the lake overflow. Um, they also decided to lower the dam a couple feet. It was too high. Why? So the two carriages could pass by at the same time. Otherwise, it was a one-way. They wanted to make it a two-way. So they lowered the dam and made it wider. So at that point in time, the dam is only about four feet higher than the spillway. They never did reinstall the drainage pipes so that they could drain the reservoir. In 1881, when the club opened, the dam frequently began to spring leaks. Hmm. They patched it with mud and straw. What? We got to call the little, little boy to stick his thumb in there. Oh, my God. No one ever called a professional. No one even consulted an engineer. Uh, There had been some speculation as to the dam's integrity, and concerns had been raised by the head of the Cambria Iron Works downstream in Johnstown, but no one did anything. And around May 27th or May 28th, it began to rain. It rained the kind of rain that doesn't let up and continuously downpours. It rained the kind of rain that the people of Johnstown were very ill-prepared for. And after days of torrential downpours, the reservoir was filled to the brim, and it kept raining. And eventually, everything simply went to hell. The dam broke apart. The dam collapsed just 14 miles upstream of the town of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. The one museum that we were in actually had some information about this. The, um, the one in Fort Pitt, the Fort Pitt Museum, oh, actually okay. had some information okay. about this. 
Between 2.50 and 2.55 p.m., the South Fork Dam breached. An analysis of the lake basin reveals that it contained almost 4 billion, with a B, gallons of water. Wow. Modern dam breach computer modeling reveals that it took approximately 65 minutes for most of the lake to empty after the dam began to fail. 65 minutes. You have one hour. The first town to be hit by the flood was South Fork. The town was on high ground, and most of the people actually escaped by running up the nearby hills when they saw the dam spill over. 20 or 30 houses were destroyed or washed away, and only four people were killed. Okay. Continuing on its way downstream to Johnstown, which was 14 miles west, what does water do? Picks shit up. Yeah, it does. Picks up debris. Picked up trees, picked up houses, picked up animals. And it's Kanama Viaduct, which was a 78-foot-high railroad bridge. The flood was actually momentarily stemmed when the debris jammed across the bridge's arch. But within seven minutes, the entire bridge collapsed. Uh, yeah, it can only take so much pressure. Allowing, they're not, they're yeah. not built to take pressure from the side like that. Allowing the flood to resume its course. So now we've added trees, houses, animals, and a bridge. Oh, Jesus. However, owing to the delay... At the, at the arch, the flood waters actually gained renewed speed and resulted in a stronger, more abrupt wave of water. Yeah, it would, because <clears> the water, <throat> even though it was blocked there temporarily, the water behind it the is still coming. It. Is the still force coming. of it blows it out of there. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the small town of Mineral Point, which was one mile below the viaduct, was the first populated place to be hit with this renewed force. About 30 families lived on the village's single street. After the flood, there was not a single structure. There was no topsoil. There was no subsoil. There was only the bedrock left. The flood took absolutely fucking everything out of this little town. Jesus. Everything. The death toll here was approximately 16 people. So we're up to 20 now. In the 2009, studies show that the flood's flow rate through that narrow valley exceeded 420,000 cubic feet per second. Oh, my God. Which is comparable to the flow rate of the Mississippi River. The village of East Kanama was next. One witness on high ground near the town described the water as almost obscured by debris. He said it resembled a huge hilling rolling over and over. From his idle locomotive in the town's railroad rail yard, the engineer, his name was John Hess, he heard and he felt the rumbling of the approaching flood. He threw his locomotive in reverse. He raced backwards towards East Kanama, blowing his whistle constantly. His warning actually saved many people who reached high ground. When the flood hit, it picked up the locomotive, and it floated the locomotive aside. Hess actually survived. But it would be terrifying, though. Oh, I'm sure it was. But what else are you going to do? I know. But at You're going to assume you're going to die whether you go forward or backward. So you might as well go backward and try to save people. But at least 50 people died, including about 25 passengers that were stranded on other trains waiting in the town. Before hitting the main part of Johnstown, the flood surge hit the Cambria Ironworks at the town of Woodvale, sweeping up railroad cards and barbed wire. Oh, God. Of Woodvale's 1,100 residents, 314 died in the flood. So a third of the, almost a third of the people oh in the God. town. Boilers exploded when the flood hit the wireworks, which caused black smoke that was seen by the Johnstown residents. Miles of barbed wire became entangled in the debris in the floodwaters. Oh, God. 57 minutes after the South Fork Dam collapsed, the flood finally hit Johnstown. 
The residents were caught by surprise as the wall of water and debris bore down, traveling at 40 miles per hour and reaching a height of 60 feet. Holy I can't even. Jesus. I can't even imagine. That's a six-story building. I can't even imagine. Some people tried to escape by running towards high ground, but most people were hit by the surging flood water. Many people were crushed by pieces of debris, and others became caught in barbed wire from the wire factory upstream, and they drowned. Those who reached attics, roofs, or managed to stay afloat waited hours for help to arrive. At Johnstown, the stone bridge, which was a substantial arched structure that carried the Pennsylvania Railroad across the river, the debris flooded, carried by the flood formed a temporary dam at this bridge, resulting in the flood surge rolling upstream. Eventually, gravity caused the surge to return to the dam and caused a second wave to hit the city, but from a different direction. Some people who had been washed downstream began trapped as the debris piled up against the stone bridge. At least 80 people died there. It started a fire, and the fire at the bridge burned for three days. Oh, my gosh. After floodwaters receded, the pile of debris at the bridge was seen to cover 30 acres and reached 70 feet in height, which means that some of the water was over 70 feet tall. If, if the debris was 70 feet high, it took workers three months to remove the massive debris, and they eventually used dynamite to clear it away. So then I have two stories from survivors. Okay. Victor Heiser was 16. He was in his family's barn on the fateful day. And this is his story. He glanced toward the house and he saw his father at a second story window, frantically gesturing for him to climb to the roof. He scrambled up and he saw what his father had seen, a two-story rumbling mass of debris crashing down the valley towards them. As he watched in horror, the Heiser home was crushed like an elegant shell and his parents disappeared. The barn was engulfed as well and Heiser rode the violent flood wave downstream, avoiding freight cars, animals, and other debris until he passed a two-story brick house. Desperately, he leapt for the roof of the house. He made it, and he spent the night in the attic of this house with 19 other survivors praying that the building wouldn't collapse. His parents died in the flood, and the family's downtown store was gone. Literally all he had from his former life was a trunk from his parents' house, filled with his father's Civil War uniform, a few pieces of silver, and his mother's Bible. It had somehow survived the flood and become and been returned to Victor as the family's sole survivor. He left Johnstown, he went to college, and he eventually became a physician. As a public health officer and physician, Dr. Victor Heiser is credited with saving as many as two million lives and developing the first effective treatment against leprosy. Wow. Reverend H. L. Chapman, pastor of the Franklin Street Methodist Church. Chapman and his family lived in the parsonage in the middle of town. On the day of the flood, he opened his front door to see a boxcar rolling down the street with a man on top of it. The man grabbed for a tree limb and managed to make his way to the second floor of the Chapman home. The reverend quickly realized that the dam must have failed, and he turned and yelled for his family to head for the attic. As the family scrambled for the stairs, Chapman rushed to the study to turn off the gas fire. The front door burst open. The floodwater rushed in, chasing Chapman as he ran for the kitchen stairs. The family made it to safety in the attic along with the man from the boxcar and a few others who had rescued themselves in similar fashion. But the rush of the flood water was overpowering and the survivors didn't know if the house would hold. The force of the water tore the porches off the house, toppled the bookcases and all the furniture downstairs, making a whole lot of noise that terrified the group. I mean, I can't even, I can't no. even imagine the noise. 
Dear Lord. Chapman later wrote, I think none of us was afraid to meet God, but we all felt willing to put it off until another time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, finally, the noise subsided, and Chapman and others looked out on a scene of utter desolation. Chapman's church had survived, along with the attic they were in. Um, in fact, the church had borne the brunt of the flood wave, helping protect several buildings behind it. Wow. So... This flood, which, like I said, um, the Ford Pitt Museum had a section on it. 2,209 people died. 99 entire families died. 396 children. That is insane. Because people were too greedy and too lazy to take care of something properly. More than 750 victims were never identified, and their bodies rest in the plot of the unknown in Grandview Cemetery. They found bodies as far away as Cincinnati, Ohio, from this flood. Wow. They also found bodies as late as 1911, which was 22 years after the flood. I mean, when you think about it, there is no containing the water. So wherever it tosses those bodies, that's where they're going to end up. Yeah. But to think this flood went for 350 miles is insane to me. Yeah. 1,600 homes were destroyed. Four square miles of Johnstown was completely destroyed. Um, the dam contained 20 million tons of water before it gave way, which is about the same of water that goes over Niagara Falls in 36 minutes. So if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, I have when I was you younger. have something to compare it to. And the noise is so loud. Yes. Flood lines were found as high as 89 feet above river level, which is insane. Yeah. The force of the flood swept several locomotives, which each weighed 170,000 pounds, and they swept them as far as 4,800 feet. 4,800 feet? Here's the cool thing. Two cool things. The American Red Cross, led by Clara Barton, arrived in Johnstown on June 5th of 1889. It was the first major peacetime disaster relief effort for the Red Cross. Clara Barton stayed to help for five months. Frank Shomo, the last known survivor of the 1889 flood, died on March 20th of 1997 at the age of 108. Wow. I know. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that was a really good story. Yeah. Really, I don't know. Just gives you food for thought anyway. If nothing else, food for thought. Indeed. Well, thank you to everyone who stopped by and lent us their ear. Spent some part of your day with us. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. We enjoyed spending it with you. Absolutely. We always do. Oh, yes. You can find us on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know or at TMSIDNTK at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at TMSIDNTK. For those of you that think it's weird, the initials to the show. Makes it easy that way. If you have any suggestions, ideas, comments, throw them our way. We love it when you guys give us story ideas. Yep. If it's something teeny tiny, it becomes a tidbit. If it's something bigger, we can turn it into a story. We absolutely will. Yes. I love it when people suggest stuff to oh, us. Gosh, because yeah. they find stuff we'll never find. Right. And we find some bizarre shit. We do. But, you know, the really cool thing is because we have listeners all over the world, there yeah. are all these odd little stories from around the world that we just won't ever see. Right. Um, and they can send those to us, and we can do stuff with them. I know. Way. It's very cool. It is. Indeed. 
If you have enjoyed your short stop with us, please feel free to follow the podcast. Leave us a rating and a review. Also, by following it, it makes sure it downloads automatically. means you never, ever have to go hunting and you never miss an episode. Yes. Because God knows, you know, if you miss one, you just, you're all confused. Oh, I know. I know. You just don't know where you are. You've lost your track of where you're at. Well, and you know, I just feel like I'm missing something all week long if I don't hear it. <laughs> I do have a couple of podcasts that are like that. That if I miss them, yeah, my week's not quite right. You can find us pretty much everywhere. everywhere. If you know of a streaming platform that you cannot find us on, drop us a line. Let us know. We'll look into it and see what we can do to get ourselves on there. Hannah's our social media guru, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Send it out and uh, and we'll get on that. Heck yeah. Feel free to share the podcast with anybody, everybody you know, and even people you don't. Yeah, you know, you're on the subway. Don't bother with, with your AirPods. Make them listen. That's right. Mugger following you, turn the podcast on. Distract them. That's right. You've got people that, you know, oh, you drive an Uber? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, let us know. We'll send you cards. You can pass them out to your passengers. You played in your Uber. You played in your Lyft. <laughs> I like that idea. You're a bus driver. You can play on the bus. <laughs> That's awesome. You drive an ice cream truck. You can play it on your ice cream truck. You're a pilot. Speaker. Put it over the speakers. Because <laughs> they really can't run. I mean, when you're in an airplane, if you're on a bus, you can get off. You're in an airplane. You're stuck. I have a friend who listens to our other podcast who is a pilot. Mm. So. He should play it on the over the speaker. Uh, probably not. I'll tell you why later. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh. Anyway. Right. It's been awesome. It has. You know, last week, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Isabel gave us a tagline. I kind of like it. She did. So, with that having been said, stay mischievous. Bye, guys. Bye.